0: Welcome to Leading From Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number 20, Feedback-Informed Treatment Practices, Part 2. Well, thank you for joining me here again on Leading From Behind. In this episode, we'll conclude our overview of feedback-informed treatment practices. As a solution-focused practitioner, these practices give us the potential to achieve better and more efficient outcomes with our clients. In particular this week, we'll look at how to present, interpret, and utilize the outcome rating scale and the session rating scale during each client encounter. Finally, in our closing resource segment, I'll provide more detail about how you can obtain a free personal license to use both measures in your solution-focused practice. Also, you'll hear about an online community of counselors and therapists who use the outcome rating scale and the session rating scale in their work. So, once again, welcome to Leading From Behind. I hope you'll find this episode useful in developing your practice of solution-focused therapy. As presented in our previous episode, client feedback regarding the Therapeutic Alliance and early progress represent the best predictors of outcome in our work as therapists and counselors. A weak Therapeutic Alliance is more likely to lead to client dropout or simply a poor outcome. The absence of early change is predictive of the same. It's critical then for the solution-focused therapist to obtain client feedback in both areas rather than just one or the other. Now, in this episode, we'll take a look at the tools used to obtain this feedback, the Outcome Rating Scale, or ORS, and the Session Rating Scale, or SRS. Then, we'll examine how the feedback can be used in collaboration with the client to produce better and more efficient outcomes. Keep in mind, of course, this is a very general overview of this subject. Also, I realize it's not easy to simply listen to a description of the forms without having any visual reference, so I'll certainly try to be as clear as possible. As well, we'll be talking about the use of these measures with adults 18 and above. The same forms can be used for young people from 13 to 17, and there's also separate versions of the ORS and the SRS for children and youth. While those versions are used in the same way, the cutoff scores separating clinical and non-clinical populations are different than what I'll be talking about here. So let's begin by looking at the outcome rating scale. It was developed by Scott Miller and Barry Duncan. It's an ultra-brief measure, since it only takes seconds for clients to complete. It's also very easy to score. This is important, since helping professionals have demonstrated that they're not likely to use outcome and other measures if it's time-consuming to administer, score, or interpret. Now, the ORS has four simple domains that, taken together, serve as a measure of the client's subjective distress. The client is asked to think about over the last week, including the present day, and respond to how well he or she is doing in each of the domains. Each domain is represented by a 10-centimeter line. The left side of the line indicates a low level of functioning, while the right side means a higher level. The first domain is about the client's sense of personal well-being. The second reflects the client's view of their family and close relationships. The third highlights perception of their social functioning at work, school, and in friendships. And finally, the fourth asks about a general sense of overall well-being. So the client places a single vertical mark on each of the four lines. Using a ruler, the therapist then measures to the millimeter where the mark lies along the 10-centimeter line. So if the mark lies at 3.2 centimeters, that would represent a score in that domain of 3.2 out of 10. The scores from the four domains are then added to bring a total score out of 40. Now, for an adult population, in this case from age 18 and above, the cutoff score is 25. So, with adults, any score below 25 would represent a score consistent with a clinical population. People with scores in this range are more likely to benefit from counseling or therapy. Clients who score above 25 in the first session should be given some particular attention, since people with scores in this area are seen as being less likely to benefit from therapy. Now, from a solution-focused perspective, a score above 25 wouldn't necessarily lead us to do anything different in the session, since our approach generally involves looking at each session as potentially the one and only contact. At the same time, holding ongoing sessions with someone with consistent scores in this area might not represent the best use of resources, especially if there's a wait list in a public mental health service. Now, this doesn't mean that we'll unilaterally terminate our work with the client in such a case, but rather we'd simply keep a close eye on how the client would know that therapy was complete. Furthermore, we might suggest less frequent sessions if the client was returning on a regular basis despite having ORS scores in the non-clinical zone. Now, it's also good to keep in mind that an initial score above 25 might also indicate that it was someone else's idea for the client to attend the session. As a result, we would inquire about this very early in the first session. If it was someone else's idea, this reinforces how important it is for us to be talking about what's important to the client in front of us and what he or she might want from the conversation. As well, we'd want to make sure that we understood the client's opinion about the referral source's ideas about attending the session. Now, in a first session of solution-focused therapy, the client's score on the ORS can be incorporated into the question that typically begins the conversation. So, for example, if a client's score is in the clinical range, I might simply begin the session by asking the following. So, I see from this questionnaire that you've been facing some challenges in your life. So, I'm wondering, what's your best hope from our conversation? Alternatively, if the ORS score is in the non-clinical range, I might begin in a similar way by saying the following. So, I see from the questionnaire that your score isn't typical of someone who I might usually see here. So, I'm wondering, what's your best hope from our conversation today? Now, how we present the ORS to clients in first sessions is important. This isn't just because we want the client to complete it correctly. We also want clients to know that paying ongoing attention to progress is an important part of the work together. There are many variations in how someone might present the idea of the ORS to a client, but typically this is a version of what I might say. It's important to me and our program that you find our work together is useful. If it's not leading to the change you might want, especially in the beginning, then it's important for us to pay attention to that. Then we can look at what we can do differently that might make it more useful. So, this brief questionnaire is one way for us to do that. If we were to meet again, or any time after that, I'd ask you to complete it again, so we can see how your responses have changed. So, in this presentation, I'm doing my best not to assume that the client will be returning for further sessions. Again, this is in keeping with the solution-focused position that each session is potentially the last one. At the same time, though, we're letting our client know that outcome and the usefulness of the work together is important and will be part of our focus. So at the very end of the session, after delivering the end-of-session feedback, we would introduce the Session Rating Scale, or SRS, to the client. Now, in presenting the SRS for the first time, I would generally say something like this. It's very important for me to know that we've been talking about what's most important to you, and that we're doing it in a way that works for you. So I have another very quick questionnaire for you to complete that's similar to the one you completed at the beginning of our meeting. This questionnaire helps me to know if there's anything missing or something I need to do differently. And keep in mind that this isn't asking you to rate me. It's more like taking the temperature of our conversation today to make sure that it was a good fit for you. In our experience, the presentation of the SRS is very important. I want to make sure that clients feel comfortable enough to give accurate feedback about the Therapeutic Alliance, given its critical relationship with outcome. Now, the SRS itself is laid out in the same way as the ORS. There's four domains that, in total, characterize the strength of the Therapeutic Alliance. Again, there's a 10-centimeter line for each that's used for scoring purposes. Marks on the left side of the line suggest that something was missing, while marks on the right side suggest a more favorable response. The first domain concerns the relationship between therapist and client. Specifically, the client indicates the degree to which she felt heard, understood, and respected during the session. The second domain concerns goals and topics discussed during the session. The client indicates the degree to which we worked on or talked about, what she wanted to work on or talk about. The third domain concerns approach or method. It asks for the client's perception of whether or not the therapist's approach was a good fit. Finally, the fourth domain reflects client feedback on the overall nature of the session. The right side indicates that there was something missing from the session, while the left notes that overall, the session was right for the client. Now, upon completion of the SRS, the therapist would immediately measure the responses to the millimeter in each domain. Like the ORS, a total score out of 40 is determined. If the total SRS score is below 36, or one particular domain is much lower than the others, it's essential then for the therapist to seek additional feedback from the client. As we know, if we don't get additional detail right in that moment, we might not have the opportunity to do so if the client doesn't return for a follow-up session. So, in practice, I might say something like this when the SRS score is below 36. So I see that there were some areas of our discussion today that could have been more helpful for you. And I'm wondering then what I could do differently in the future to make this a more useful experience for you. Now, of course, some clients might simply say that there was nothing in particular missing and that we are indeed on the right track together. That's fine, and we can conclude the session there. But other clients may be more direct and provide more specific feedback. Now, whatever this feedback is should be noted and acted upon if a next session occurs. So, for example, if the client notes that we didn't address a particular subject, I want to be sure to do so at a next session, if in fact one occurs. Or, if the client notes that my approach wasn't a good fit, might want to look at referring this client to a colleague who uses a different approach. I'd be more likely to do this because I only practice in a solution-focused manner. If you're able to practice using other approaches, then you might make a different decision. In practice, some therapists are reluctant to use the SRS. They might be uncomfortable with soliciting such feedback from the client, or perhaps see the client as being uncomfortable in providing the feedback. As well, some clinicians see consistently positive SRS scores as being redundant or without any meaningful value. So far then, we've talked about using the ORS and the SRS in a first session. In follow-up sessions with the same client, we would continue to administer both the ORS and the SRS. Now, with the ORS, scores that increase by 5 points or more are considered to be indicative of reliable change. This is something we want to pay attention to, especially over the first three or so sessions. A change of 5 points or more, and a score in the non-clinical range, suggests clinically significant change. If a 5-point change is not reported by the client after three or four sessions, and assuming, of course, that the client isn't reporting that there's something missing from the therapeutic alliance on the SRS, It's important to engage in some dialogue about this with the client. And so, I might say something like this. In looking at your responses to the outcome questionnaire over the sessions we've had so far, I see that things haven't improved for you to the degree that you might expect at this stage. So, I'm wondering about your thoughts about whether there's something that we can do or do differently that might make this a more helpful experience. Now again, the client might respond by saying that things are indeed on the right track and that the work together has indeed been helpful. But what we're looking for here is any idea from the client that might lead to a better likelihood of change. Now, in practice, this might mean looking at a different mode of therapy, such as a group program, or depending on the presenting issues, whether an assessment for medication is something that might be worth exploring. Or it might be that the frequency of sessions needs to be altered in some way. Again, some of these uh, options would depend on your own specific work setting and the unique client. Nevertheless, the point here is that we want to be continually engaged in collaboration with our clients if meaningful change has not been indicated on the ORS. Remember again that the absence of early change is predictive of dropout or an unsuccessful outcome. Now, the ORS scores are also relevant even after clinical change has been achieved or when the client's score has moved into the non-clinical range. So, for example, if I've seen the client for five sessions and the ORS scores have improved substantially, there's an opportunity for me to respectfully inquire about the point at which our work together has reached its end. Now, this isn't about getting the client to stop coming. Instead, it's about being able to ascertain how the client will know that the maximum benefit of the work together has been achieved. Keep in mind again that once scores have moved into the non-clinical range, some of the variations in ORS scores might merely reflect the ups and downs of day-to-day life, rather than anything else. Also, as mentioned earlier, people may no longer benefit from therapy in a meaningful way when their ORS scores are in the non-clinical range. Now, in subsequent sessions, the SRS scores continue to be an important source of information. Again, at each session, we want to be looking for anything that might be amiss from the client's perspective within the Therapeutic Alliance. This information remains critical in understanding the ORS results. An effective way to present ORS and SRS results to clients during follow-up sessions is to plot the data on a graph. You can then point to the trajectory of the ORS scores as a means of noting the absence or presence of change. This brings a visual element to the conversation with the client. So in concluding this discussion, I'll certainly say from experience that using the ORS and SRS can make a significant difference in obtaining better and more efficient outcomes in solution-focused practice. Any weaknesses in the therapeutic alliance can be addressed early, which reduces the possibility of dropouts. At the same time, a continued dialogue about progress contributes to fewer long-term cases with no discernible change. Now, I will say that incorporating feedback-informed treatment practices into one's work is simple but not easy, just like the practice of solution-focused therapy. However, when we are consistent in our use of these tools in our practice, the value in doing so is realized over time. As well, soliciting ongoing feedback from our clients about the quality and helpfulness of the work together is a tangible example of collaboration, something that fits very nicely with the practice of solution-focused therapy. In the resource segment of this episode, I'd like to provide a bit more information about how you can obtain a free personal license to use the ORS and the SRS in your practice. Now, to do so, you have to go to Scott Miller's website at scottdmiller.com. Click on the link for Performance Metrics and follow the download instructions from there. In the download, you'll receive a copy of the ORS and SRS for different populations. The forms will be in Microsoft Word format. Before printing the forms, however, it's important to ensure that the lines are indeed 10 centimeters long. If you print the forms with any variation in this, your client scores won't be valid so this can take a little effort to make sure that the lines are correct. As well, once you begin to photocopy the forms over time, it's important to verify that the lines are still 10 centimeters long, since copiers and printers have a way of diminishing this over time. Now, as always, you can find a link to the Performance Metrics page on Scott Miller's website on this episode's show notes on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca. Now, our second and final resource relevant to feedback-informed treatment practices is the International Center for Clinical Excellence. This is an online community for practitioners, regardless of therapeutic approach, who utilize the ORS and SRS in their work. It's free to join the ICCE, and it can be a great resource for connecting with others who use these tools and for asking questions that will increase your knowledge and understanding of feedback-informed treatment practices. To check out the ICCE, simply go to centerforclinicalexcellence.com or follow the link on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca. So we've reached the end of this episode and I'd like to thank you again for joining me. In our next episode, number 21, we'll return to our more specific look at solution-focused therapy. In that episode, we'll examine the use of the approach in working with mandated or involuntary clients. Now, if you have any questions or feedback arising from this episode or the podcast in general, please feel free to let us know. You can leave a comment on the podcast page of the Halifax Brief Therapy Center website at hbtc.ca or by sending an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. As a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind are generally available at the beginning and middle of each month. To subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your computer or mobile device, you can do so through iTunes. Simply click on the link on the podcast page of our website, or you can find us in the training subsection of the education category in the iTunes Store. Finally, my thanks as usual to Dano of danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. So, you've been listening to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about solution-focused therapy, episode number 20. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I hope you'll join me again.